Hi everyone! Welcome back to my Teach English in China podcast. This is episode eight, which is about job applications. And some of the questions related to job application process we'll be exploring today are one: How do most employers in China get their applications? Two: What information are they looking for on a resume or CV? And three: What personal qualities in a applicant? Uh, are they looking for? So today I'm very excited about my discussion with a very special guest. My very special guest has two and a half decades working experience in Singapore and China's education industries, and he has covered a wide spectrum of management roles in both government and private sector, including HR and recruiting functions. He pioneered the career services functions at NUS, that is National University of Singapore,、uh, NUS's business school for undergraduates, and started the Student Services Centre for the Private Education Regulatory Authority of Singapore. He is currently the director of the statutory board, Skills Future Singapore, overseeing the student services. Consumer education and data analysis functions. So, as you can see, my special guest has a lot of knowledge and experience that is highly relevant to、uh, my podcast topics, which is why I'm inviting him for discussion. And more importantly, he had been a great mentor of mine, and I learned so much from him about education management, HR, financial management, and everything else I've been doing for my work. In the recent few years, so without further ado, let's hear from my special guest himself, Mr. Lawrence Tan from Singapore. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, Ming. It's so good to be able to connect up with you、uh, after you know all this time. Yeah.、Um, I, I, I'm I'm really glad to to be able to talk about this topic because,、uh, as you can see in my profile, actually I've been、uh, working closely with、uh, students、uh, almost all my professional life. And、uh, whatever I could do to to help, be it,、uh, you know, fresh graduate who are graduating, or you know,、uh, experienced worker who are trying to enter the market itself,、uh, that would be very close to something which I'm still doing right now, which is to actually、uh, help educate um,、uh, consumers who are interested to to venture into private education. Yeah, that that's why I'm so glad that you you、uh, uh, you agreed to do this podcast with me. But、um, I know you've been really very busy lately. So、um, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> so、um, maybe let's let me、uh, dive right into some of the questions that I would like to hear your、uh, input. Sure.、And、so sure. so、um, you. You worked in China for quite a few years, and you personally handled a lot of job applications. And so, while you were working in China,、um, what? How did you get most of the job applications? Was it from some job websites or personal referral or any other channels? What were the main channels that you got yours?、Uh, well. Most of the applications that I、uh, receive are through job websites,、uh, but、uh, these are typically used for、uh, non-management position,、mm-hmm. meaning that the positions are more junior.、Uh, if the positions are more senior and、uh, and the company.
company could afford it, uh, usually we use uh, headhunters mm. so that uh, they can screen the applicants uh, for the first or second round mm-hmm. before they pass on the, the application to you. Uh, referrals are usually a very good source mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, I would uh, be frank to say that referrals, if they come from a reliable source itself, uh, are often given a lot more weightage than the other applicants. Mm-hmm. So um, if, if you can get your you know, application through somebody who knew the hiring managers, just go ahead and do that. Uh, no matter what kind of connection that is, I mean, the, be it through uh, uh, your uh, mutual friends or, or you know, uh, your, somebody you worked with um, or your relatives, um, that connections will, will actually help. Mm-hmm. So for, for I, I think for most of the listeners of this podcast, they're they're you know probably all over the world, um, mostly maybe in English speaking countries that uh, we're familiar with. And for for them, I think, especially for the ones who don't have any personal uh, connections in China, that I'm I'm assuming most of them probably don't have anybody that can refer them to a job here. So for if they're looking for some jobs on website, what, what uh, websites would you suggest that they use? Well, um, actually, the, I, I would be a little bit rusty by now uh, because you know that my last posting was uh, <laughs> right, right, yeah. from, from my <laughs> recollection, mm-hmm. uh, com is, is one of the biggest uh, websites. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think uh, for that, that is particular to, to China market itself. Right. But uh, if you're a foreigner and you're looking at uh, job postings that uh, cut across, uh, you know, uh, different boundaries, mm-hmm. uh, I would recommend uh, monster.com. Monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because Monster actually uh, takes uh, jobs, uh, postings from, from the China uh, multinational corporations and they post it overseas for jobs that are based in, in China. Oh, I see. So, okay. Yeah, so I, I think you, you, you could explore uh, the two different models. Mm-hmm. Those, uh, you know, job portals that are very, uh, you know, native. Mm-hmm. They, they, they cater to the local market itself. The, the MMCs also post on them, but they are not expecting a lot of expatriate type of application. But you could look at job portals like uh, more international, like Monsters, mm-hmm. that accumulates also uh, some... MNCs, uh, you know, postings from various countries too. So the the, the two channels will work, you know, if you use it uh, concurrently. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, while you were looking for applicants for certain positions, I'd imagine at the time you probably received, say, to say hundreds is probably not an exaggeration, right? Uh, hundreds of resumes and uh, for one particular position. So when, when you receive all these resumes, and what, um, I'm, I'd imagine you have a preliminary screening strategy. So w- yes. what, what sort of information um, were you looking for on a cover letter and resume really quickly as a uh, preliminary screening? Okay. Uh, actually, uh, I, I think uh, every... Uh, human resource or hiring managers would, would have their own criteria. Mm-hmm. But I think 
generally, uh, they shouldn't vary too uh, far apart. Um, so, uh, depending on the positions that uh, you're hiring for, uh, it could be in the following categories. Um, for example, uh, if uh, for most people, they, the first level of screening, they will be looking at uh, the appropriate uh, qualifications and skills mm -hmm. which match the type of job that you are you know, looking for. Mm -hmm. And of course, beyond that, they will look for you know, additional description that uh, you know, showcase the, you know, the applicant's uh, attitude, aptitude, mm -hmm. uh, the passion, the person's character, and the cultural fit in, into the job itself. Mm -hmm. So um, when, when you write your resume and your cover letter itself, do try to find any doctor, you know, uh, you know, experience that you can, and exposures that, you know, and, and achievements or, you know, certain uh, project that you can showcase mm -hmm. the, the, the type of qualities that the, the job that, the, you know, that you're applying for. Uh, do, do customize your resume. Don't use one resume for every type of job. <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at a, a particular job, uh, it's looking for certain skill set uh, mm. or certain, you know, leadership qualities, uh, creativity, mm. teamwork, or, or, you know, certain communication skills, customize your, your resume and cover letter to, to showcase those, those kind of quality that the, the job is, is looking for. So basically what I'm saying is that, you know, um, employers are looking for you know, uh, hard skill set uh, and qualification. Mm -hmm. Those those are a must. You, you can't you can actually, uh, you know, change too much of that because whatever you have achieved in terms of uh, getting certain qualification and skill set, those are already set. But, um, you know, you, you do try to, you know, spice things up by, you know, uh, demonstrating that you have uh, accumulated uh, more, you know, bonus points than beyond those uh, hard skill set, like you, you know, those soft qualities that I mentioned. Yeah, I, I think sometimes it's really kind of frustrating to receive some resumes that clearly they they had used this same resume for many other employers. Sometimes they even have their names, like other employers' names on it. So that's sure. yeah, automatically a no. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a real turn off because uh, <laughs> right. you know that the person is, is not really uh, giving your application any priority. Right. And, and I, I, I think most of us probably read uh, a varying uh, degree of how fast uh, an employer chuck your resume aside. And, and it, is, it, it is really true. I personally, I, I don't think I spend more than a minute on resume. And uh, I, I, I'm a little bit biased against uh, the cover letter because in, in this day and age itself, um, the cover letter, while it's useful, uh, it doesn't really, uh, you know, uh, come into play from all the employees. So I, I wouldn't totally discard the, the, the usefulness of a cover letter, mm -hmm. but I would say that if you, if you go into a, a very uh, prescribed kind of, uh, you know, shortlisting uh, process itself, your cover letter is automatically discarded. They mm -hmm. just use, uh, you know, a, a certain criteria to screen through your resume. So mm -hmm. I, I would say first priority, make sure your resume is really top notch. Mm -hmm. uh, no spelling mistake, uh, uh, no, uh, you know, 
misreading of the the job uh, requirements, uh, mm. whatsoever errors. You, you just have to get make it that make sure that it is correct. Mm -hmm. So I imagine uh, speaking of this, you 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 personally probably are not. Uh, so particular in terms of uh, some resume conventions, like what what to put in the first section or what to put in the second section, and anything like that. As long as the content is is good, is that am I correct to say that? Yes, yes. I I, I would say that uh, I I wouldn't advocate a certain convention, mm -hmm. but that there will be a general rule to use a template or a, a certain format. Which allows you to summarize or and reflect your information in a very clear and concise manner, that, that the reader can read very and pick up the important information very easily. Mm -hmm. And I would strongly suggest that uh, you do not go beyond two page for a resume, mm -hmm. because I, I think you, I, I think most of us have uh, said more than you know uh, more often than you know uh, it needs to be mentioned that. You know, actually, a good resume does not needs to go go in length, but in quality. Right. <laughs> so, uh, if a C-suite candidate can summarize their few decades of experience mm -hmm. and or achievement in less than two page, mm -hmm. everyone else can. You can't right. say that I can't do it. Right. Yeah, you just have to look at other resume mm -hmm. and see how do they showcase their achievement. So, uh, I would advise that if you are an experienced worker. Try to write in terms of achievement, mm -hmm. quantifiable achievements, mm -hmm. not just job description. So showcase on your passion, your leadership qualities, and your skill sets. But if you are fresh graduate, try to focus on anecdotal ex examples that can demonstrate your interest and passion. What mm -hmm. do you look up for in a job? What do you, you know, hope that you can, you know, achieve in? in you know, uh, be recognized for in your career. Mm. So that helps the recruiter to to see whether there's a match of that interest with what they're offering. Mm. So that that there got to be this kind of a very generic uh, strategy when you write a resume. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very helpful. So for for older applicants, you know, as you said, if they if they've been working for two or three decades. And, you know, for some people, um, it, it may have been the case that they, let's say they, they, for whatever reason, did not work for a few years. So would you be worried uh, if they don't put anything, let's say, for a five-year gap or even a 10-year gap, and if you see something like that on the resume? I, I would be worried in the, in the past, uh, but I think the the context, the, the macro context is changing. Uh, people are more forgiving these days. Employers are more forgiving these days. Uh, they are more welcoming for uh, people who took gap years. I mean, even uh, for those who are mid-career, it's quite common for people to take a break, uh, either go for sabbatical or they just do something that is related to family or their interests before they come back to work. So I, I think the, the, the hiring norms are changing a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but that said, I, I would not totally disregard that, you know, some recruiters or employers would still 
see it as a taboo that to see a gap year. So I, what I would recommend is if you do have a very big gap year, uh, try to explain it in your cover letter, not in the resume. Mm, so okay. and, and you need to help the employer see how that gap year helps in your own personal interest, your own passion. You know, it needs to make sense in terms of helping them understand why you need to take that time off. Hmm. That that is a very very great suggestion. I think. Okay, so uh, you, you know, for the, for this uh, podcast, it's uh, I'm I'm making it mainly focusing on the English teaching positions in sure. China. So for, uh, you know, English teaching in China, it's it's still in this really high demand, and there are so many positions that needs to be filled, and so many people are applying for it. So for for this particular type uh, position, what what uh, kind of obvious and apparent uh, qualities and what kind of underlying qualities that would you be looking for um, in applicants? Because they, they, I think teaching English is it's kind of a, in its unique um, situation in China and it, it's kind of different from teaching other subjects. And what, yeah, what's uh, your take on, on that in terms of qualities? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, beyond the you know the the common working uh, experience that we share, I mean, uh, you you probably also uh, may know that I have uh, mostly worked in the international schools, so I I have been hiring uh, many English uh, teaching positions while I'm in China. Yeah. So uh, the I mean uh, they are mostly in the the two international schools that I worked in, and uh, of course with PSP Academy. Um, well, basic uh, skills, language skills, uh, you know, uh, aside, I, I think the recruiters will be looking for the abilities to adapt uh, to the teaching environment in, in China. And, and that, that is key because, you know, language skills itself, you can see from your qualifications and from the teaching experience that you, you have accumulated just based on your resume. Right. But there are many factors which will require, uh, you know, the candidates to be able to adapt when right. they are working in China. Yeah. Because the Chinese environment, you know, the teaching environment is, is very different. So you have to get used to how to cope with uh, teaching students, non-English speaking students in the school environment. You have to cope with the expectations of the parents. You have to cope with the teaching environment, the school environment, the school management, the school management style. So it actually requires a, a certain level of ability to adapt by the teacher. So I I, I would say I mean of course the, the general skill sets it will be your your teaching English as a foreign language uh, skill sets. It's how to quickly get the students to to scale up, you know, in, in terms of their language abilities. Those, those are, I, I would say, international. I mean, any countries that, are, you know, non-native speaking countries that I go to, is the same. Right. But I, it's probably worth spending some time to understand the cultural context mm -hmm. and the expectation of the parents and students so that you, you 
do not get a culture shock when you actually landed there and, and is working in that environment. Right. I, I think the word adapt is definitely the key <laughs> word here. <laughs> And yeah, the, 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 these years that I've been uh, back here, that I've come across so many foreign teachers here, and a lot of them, uh, they, their experience and even academic qualities look like picture perfect on the resume, but their lack of ability to adapt to, to China's teaching environment, as you said, basically drove them away after a short time. So I, I think for anyone who wants to work in China teaching English, this this definitely the being able to adapt is is the key, <laughs> as you said. Yes, yes, it me. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you on that because I think in, in, in order for you to be able to enjoy a China teaching experience, you really need to um, change your expectation because it's just different from the Western culture. Mm. I mean, um, take for example, would, would you come across a, a culture where the the parents expect that if the the children are not performing well, is the responsibility is on the teacher? <laughs> right. That that wouldn't be a, a Western kind of a concept, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's definitely that kind of concept that is uh, existing in, in China or mm. in most Chinese, uh, you know, uh, culture that if the child is not doing good, something is wrong with the school or the teachers. <laughs> right. But it's not my child's problem. <laughs> yeah, that 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 can be frustrating, but but I think it's good to be aware of that and just uh, uh, get some advice from other coworkers or supervisors on how to deal with that. And I think there are ways to deal with it. It's not impossible. Just had to have the right mindset. Yes, correct. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the open mindset is the, the the most important. Yeah, open. Yeah, definitely. So for for a lot of the candidates who have not been uh, to China before, and if they think that they do have the ability to adapt, but they don't have any experience to show, how do they, how should they, um, how should they put it on the resume that, you know, can make employers quickly identify this, this quality of being able to adapt to different environments? I, I think uh, you can uh, paraphrase uh, all of, you know, some examples uh, that are similar where you can actually, uh, you know, adapt to, to a situation. For example, if, if you can showcase that, you know, you, uh, you know, started a small business and that, that requires a, as a, you know, an, a, as a um, new business owner, you have to adapt to different kind of uh, you know environments, uh, customers, you know uh, regulations. So those those are situations that you can showcase that you know you are flexible. You know. Mm, that that's yeah that that's a great idea. Okay, mm. so whatever whatever experience they they have that's that require them to adapt to some new environment, that should that should uh, be able to carry it over to to this type of position, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Great. It's basically tolerance of, of, of differences. <laughs> tolerance, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, sounds great. Um, so in the, I think a lot of times I I've uh, come across some foreigners that were kind of shocked at the fact that in China employers ask them to 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 you know say to 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 clearly say their their age or their race and marital status and all that. 
it's because it, that's like not allowed in certain countries. But uh, so in China, um, in terms of this kind of legal differences, uh, besides what I was just uh, mentioned that age, gender, marital status, and all that, um, are there any other um, things that employers are allowed to to ask from an applicant? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would actually uh, totally agree with you, Ming, that, um, you know, due to the cultural and legal and environment differences, there, there are a lot of questions which may seem legitimate in the Western context. Uh, actually, it's the reverse. Uh, legitimate uh, in China context, but it's illegitimate in, in the developed nations. Um, <laughs> I, I, and I think that there are good reasons uh, behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- for example, um, you know, I I I I also think that part, partly partly is because that uh, some part of this information uh, is required for the job because you are coming in as as an expatriate, mm-hmm. not a, a local employee. So, for example, if if the employers are asking you about family information. Are you married? Do you have children? Or are you expecting a child? Uh, it, it may be not considered so legal to ask, you know, overseas. Uh, well, but in this context, if the employer is bringing you in, there will be costs related to that kind of status. If you are married, do I need to cater for visas, for a bigger housing? If you have children, do I need to cater for you know, education uh, feed. Mm. Yeah. Expecting a child, do I need to pay for, you know, the, the, the delivery fee for, for having a child in China? Mm. Do I need to cater for a bigger housing again? So all this comes into play if you if you are, you know, actually thinking of uh, legitimate uh, reasons of, for having that information. Yeah. So I, I, but of course, I generally, I also would agree that a lot of Chinese employers are still in the very uh, old mindset that they need to have this so-called private information to make the, the recruitment uh, you know, uh, decision. And I, I, I think you need to deal with that because it's, uh, China is still not very strong on the equal employment uh, rights. So it, I, my personal advice is that you weigh that uh, on your own personal scale of what is legitimate and what isn't. So, personally, those factors that I mentioned, like family factors, if it constitute as a part of the package that would add on to the cost of the pa- mm. that package that will be offered, I would suggest that you consider them as gray areas and most likely you would want to disclose them. But if it's totally not related, for for example, your sexual orientation, mm. um, you know, um, certain health issues, you know, they can send you for for health check. So, so whatever you think that is is going beyond your your personal principles, uh, is you you got to draw that line yourself mm. and decide that. It's not worth to, to compromise that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's very true. I wasn't thinking about that. The that this actually directed related to 
the cost they incurred uh, to the employers' parts because they, it's not just they want to you know snoop in your personal life. It's also it's directly related to how much money they will need to to spend, and also like you said, the the visa thing. That's that's something that's required by the government. You if, if they they're bringing spouse or or children, then that that's another thing that the employer have to deal with the government uh, for yes. that. So yeah, okay. Yeah, so again, I think this the advice for potential applicants for for the jobs is that again, keep an open mind about things. Don't assume that everything should be the same, and uh, don't assume that that they're asking for this is just because they 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 want it for fun or, or anything else. Yes. Yeah, in, in fact, uh, you know, in the recent trend itself, um, at least for this decade, um, a lot of countries, including Singapore. The applicants are increasingly unwilling to disclose past salary information for, mm. for recruitment purposes because uh, the the argument is very simple. Uh, if you hire me for this position and you have a certain salary benchmark within your company already set up for it, why do you need my past you know employment uh, you know salary history to in order to make me that that offer? Right. If you do it, do access that uh, you, if your assessment is, is that I'm good enough for the job, then I should be paid according to your own salary benchmark, right? So why yeah. do I need to do that? <laughs> so I mean, so I think that the argument goes that if let's say you take me in candidate A at uh, you know five thousand dollars, and candidate B just because I have a higher salary, you could offer me six thousand for the same pay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound logical. To me. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, actually, in Singapore context, um, I think more and more, you know, candidates are, are actually withholding uh, past salary records. Mm. They just, they just, you know, wants the employer to to just assess that uh, based on my experience and my skill set, are you comfortable that I I'm worth this X dollars that you're offering me? Mm. Yeah, that that's a great point. I actually, uh, I think I'm I tend to agree with this argument, too. Okay, so this is the first half of the interview with uh, Lawrence on job application issues. And in this first half, we discussed five points. And the first one was the main channels that a lot of employers get their applications from. And the second one was what sort of information do most employers look for uh, in a resume and cover letter, if applicable? And three, uh, any conventions for a resume and cover letter that Lawrence suggests applicants observe? And four, what apparent and underlying qualities in an applicant that many employers look for? And five, what are some major legal differences between many Western countries and China in terms of hiring and screening process? So as you can see, Lawrence has given us a lot of very useful information on these discussion items. And in the second half, we'll be discussing more uh, pertinent questions on this topic and please on the lookout for the second half uh, which i'll be uploading in a few days 
I'll see you there.